Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in two areas of Scripture today. We are in our uh, series dealing with difficult, the third part of that three-part series, dealing with difficult things today. We're going to be in Psalm 112, Psalm 112, as well as 1 Samuel 30. Once again, Psalm 112 and 1 Samuel 30. Now, um, you all hopefully received your Easter week invite, your Easter invite as you were coming in. Now, there are two things that you should have now. You should have what we gave you several weeks ago posted somewhere in your world to be reminding you to pray. Today, we're giving you this Easter invite. Now, this is different than this one. Look, this one's portrait, this one's landscape, okay? That's one way to see the difference, all right? But if you look on the back of this one, there is a place for you to put someone's name. And mine has the name Stephen because I'm inviting Stephen from the YMCA to come to Easter and to celebrate with us. So I'm going to personally give this to him. But not only giving this to him, I have chosen Stephen to pray for for the next three weeks. And that's what we're asking each of you to do, to think of one person and to begin praying for them that you would invite them to come and be at Easter. Now, Easter is going to be a blast. We've got a 6 o'clock service and an 8.30 service, and both of them are different. So we put a little halftime in the middle of it where there's going to be concerts and food and all kinds of ex- and things to be a part of. So you can come for the sunrise, stay through, and then be a part of the 8.30, two totally different services. So listen, Easter should be a party. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I mean, he's given us new life. So we're going to do that over at Dignity Health Make sure you're in prayer for your person. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Father, I am so thankful for Calvary Chapel South Bay because it's a place of refuge. And I pray that as we go out into our world, that we be inspired by the word of God because sometimes the world can be difficult. And we need the power of your spirit, the direction of your word to do the world your way. So would you give us the insight that we need today in Jesus' name? Amen. Dealing with difficult today, dealing with difficult things. It's the third part of our three-part series. And if anyone knew difficult, it was Titus. Think about it. Titus dealt with difficult people. They were coming against him with doctrinal arguments. He was in a difficult place, Crete, where the Bible says they were liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. He was like right in the middle of L.A., difficult place. (laughs) He had to deal with difficult things. We learned he was left in Crete to set things in order. Titus had some difficult things to deal with. We all do. Difficult things, listen carefully, are going to be a part of our lives. You can't live in denial. That's a river in Egypt. You've got to choose to recognize 
that we will go through difficult things. And the Bible doesn't even shy away from it. The Bible doesn't even shy away from letting us know there are going to be difficult things. And look how difficult they are. Look. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That sounds like a great experience. I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death? Do you know what the Bible's letting us know? There are things that are going to be a part of our life that are going to feel like death. It's going to hurt. It's going to grieve us. It can even burden us. We've got to be careful not to live in the perspective, the false perspective, that we can avoid difficult things. Because when a difficult thing comes upon us and we've been avoiding the fact that difficult things are going to come, that's where we're going to freak out because we're so disappointed that a difficult thing has come into our life. Even Jesus told the church that they were going to go through something difficult. Now, Jesus writes this letter to one of the churches in the book of Revelation. Now, imagine you receiving this letter. Take a look. Jesus writes, Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You will have, here's God's will for you, you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death. You know what that means? Some of you are going to die and I will give you the crown of life. Now just imagine you open up a letter from Jesus and that's what's written to you. You're going to die. Think of that for just a moment. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't shy away from the fact that we're going to deal with difficult things because I've asked you to imagine that this letter was written to you, but that's the point. It is written to you. He's letting us know there are going to be difficult things that happen in this world because sin has polluted this world. And now thorns and the sweat of our brow are a result. Have some of you noticed that we don't live as long as Methuselah anymore? I mean, thank God we don't. Can you imagine what we'd look like? You see, difficult things are a part of this life. Difficult things like death and disease and grief. I mean, look at the great prophet Elisha. 16 recorded miracles, followed God all of his life. He purposely did everything he could to honor God and take a look at 2 Kings chapter 13. Look at the screen. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. At the end of his life, he gets a terminal disease. The great prophet Elisha. Because difficult things are a part of this life. Like loss and personal failure. Or having to forsake your dream. Family can be difficult. Let the church say, Now, if your family came with you today, I hope you didn't say too loud. Parents can be difficult. Parenting can be difficult. Children can be difficult. Let the church say. And I hope every kid heard it. Breakups can be difficult. Relationships are often difficult. I mean, school, like organic chemistry, is difficult. Careers can be difficult. 
And then you get through your career and retirement can be difficult. Age is difficult. Up, whoa. (laughs) Didn't know 1230 was the geriatric group. (laughs) Listen, I'm 53 years old. Now when I stand up, there's a full-on ensemble going off. Crick, crick, crack, crick, crack, crick. And when I go like this, everything goes. It's like, what's going on with my body? It's difficult. Starting over can be difficult. Transition is difficult. Feeling alone in this world or betrayal is difficult or having to build trust again. We all have our share of difficult. Let the church say, Amen. I've had mine. I was unloading a bus. A friend of mine tapped on my shoulder, hey, I need to talk to you. I don't have time to talk. No, no, no. And he grabbed my hand. He goes, you need to come with me. Your brother's plane crashed and he's dead. Two months later, my uncle died. Partly raised me in the Bahamas. A month after that, I found my father dead in the backyard. And a month after that, Andrea's grandmother died. Four months, four deaths. And I found myself, am I the pastor? Am I the son? Am I the brother? Am I the in-law? No, i got to run this funeral. I remember when I was doing my father's funeral, my senior pastor looked at me and says, you got to pull it together, man. you got to get out there and minister. I'm like, I need some ministry right now. It was a month after all the funerals, I found myself sitting on a couch in November. And I sat there for four days, having it dealt with this difficult year. Finally, my wife got so concerned because I didn't get up. She looked at me, and she, and, and she called a friend of mine and said, Dude, you, you need to get over here. Like, he's not doing good. And then the Lord spoke to me. Listen, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to read it for you. And the Lord led me to Psalm 143. Listen to what the Lord said to me. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight, no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He's made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I was so amazed And I felt like God was telling me, I know exactly where you're at. You are overwhelmed. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt something so difficult that your spirit is overwhelmed within you? I know difficult. I served in Africa, right? A friend of mine, his name was Sammy. I served with him for 10 years. We were best friends. I mean, the best of buddies. We did everything together. When I was a single guy, and then when I got married. One time I got malaria. We walked four hours into the bush. I got malaria. My fever spiked to 104, and I had to get to a hospital. I couldn't walk, so he carried me on his back for four hours. I'm talking a real friend. So I brought him to the United States of America. Got him accepted into a Bible college, and... One morning, I went to go pick him up, and there was a letter on the bed. Dear Chet, 
I was only your friend for 10 years so that you would bring me to the United States of America, and now I'm gone. I know difficult. We all know difficult. And there are so many different ways that we deal with difficult things. Some of us, when we face something difficult, we fall apart. Like, we have put our hope in a life that is just fun and frivolous, and when something difficult happens, we just fall apart. Some of us, we're too cool to fall apart. We keep it together. (laughs) I don't know about those people, but I have a persona. (laughs) I'm going to be all right. I'm dying inside, but I'm going to be all right. Some of us just brush it off, while others, we just can't let it go. Some people, when a difficult thing happens, they become apathetic because so many difficult things have happened, and some people get angry. Oh, others, they take the logical approach and try to analytically figure it out, but others, they take the super spiritual approach. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it, and for the rest of us, we want to backslap them. Some of us, we, we take a very negative approach. Well, some take a very positive approach. But my hope is to be like Elisha. Because now I want to finish the story for you. You can read it later in 2 Kings chapter 13. There he is, got terminal disease. He's in hospice. He's hooked up to an IV. He's in the bed. King Joash comes in on the scene. Elisha. The Syrians are attacking. We don't know what to do. Can you help us out? I'm sorry. I'm in hospice. Could you just let me die in peace? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I'm there. I'm a pastor, right? And people come. They see I'm terminally, and you come and visit me, and you go, listen, me and my wife are having some issues. Like, can you help us out? I'm sorry. I'm about to take my last breath, dude. Could you just pray for me? I mean, just imagine King Joash. All he cares about is the Syrians are attacking him. And he comes to Joash, I mean, Elisha, who's on his deathbed, got the IV uh, kicked in, the hospice nurse is there. And you know what Elisha does? Hey, Joash, get your bow. And Elisha puts his hand on the bow along with Joash. He says, start shooting arrows. Elisha shot, I mean, Joash shot one, then he shot another one. And he shot another one, then he stopped. And Elisha said, you should have kept shooting the arrows. You will have part victory of the Syrians, but you won't have complete victory over the Syrians. You should have kept shooting. Do you know what Elisha did? He remained true to his calling despite his difficulty. He just was the prophet. And Joash trusted that Elisha wouldn't change. No matter what he was going through, he was true to remain to his calling, and he prophesied because he was prophet Elisha determined by God. Whoa! That was me? Joash, are you kidding me? Dude, get your arrow. I put it right in his heart. Like, are you kidding me? I'm dying here, but not Elisha. What a power perspective that Elisha had. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing, whether I'm in a difficult situation or not. Paul had it. Paul had the same power perspective. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Take a look. For I consider, think of everything that Paul's been through. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What a power perspective. 
that no matter what I go through, it doesn't compare with where I'm going. David had this perspective. Take a look at Psalm chapter 112. Psalm chapter 112. Look at this power perspective. Praise the Lord. Okay. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. So he's given some direction. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. I like this guy. I like his life. Unto the upright, there arises light in the darkness. Oh, there is darkness. He's gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Oh, he he just remains a Christian no matter how dark it gets. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. That means that there's things shaking, but he's not shaken. The righteous will be an everlasting remembrance. He won't be afraid of evil tidings. That means that people come and give him bad news, but he's not afraid of it. His heart is steadfast. Take a look. Trusting in the Lord. David had the power perspective. He feared the Lord, delighted in his word, and he trusted what God said. And in this... He wasn't afraid when someone came and brought difficult news. He wasn't afraid that the world was shaking around him. He expected it to shake. That's why he delighted in God's word. That's why he feared the Lord. That's why he trusted in God. It gave him the power perspective. He wasn't shaken because his eyes were fixed on what cannot be shaken. Hey, gang, the world is shakable. Expect it to shake. The world is going to rock you. It's just what it's meant to do. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. God speaking, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he's promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. So the things I created. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Do you know what he's saying here? The world will shake you, so fix your eyes on what doesn't shake. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. What a power perspective. Jesus had this power perspective because Jesus knew difficult things. Can I remind you of the cross? Jesus knew difficult. In fact, his whole life growing up, you know what the Romans did? They put crosses at every major intersection with a human being hanging on it just to remind you we are in, you are in subjection to us. So everywhere that Jesus went, he was reminded of his difficult thing. He knew he was headed to the cross. The Bible says he set his face as a flint to get to the cross. Jesus knows difficult things. But he didn't look at the cross. He knew the world was going to shake him. So he kept his eyes fixed on what would not be shaken, his father. Take a look at Psalm chapter 16. There on the screen, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. 
You won't leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus knew that the world was about to be rocked around him. He knew that his world was going to be shaken, so he had the power principle in place. And he says, my sufferings don't compare with what lies ahead of me. I'm going to be with God in just a moment. We need this power perspective. We need to live in this power perspective in order to deal with difficult things. The difficult things we are dealing with don't compare to the glory that lies ahead of us. That's the power perspective. Some of us are in the midst of our difficult thing going, I don't get it. I mean, Paul got it, David got it, Jesus got it. I get it, but I'm not getting it because I'm in the midst of my difficult thing. So how do I get there? Well, this power principle, it comes with putting some, excuse me, this power perspective comes with putting some power principles into our lives. Maybe you'll write down the first one. Run to God. When you face with your difficult thing, run to God. You can read it later. It's Deuteronomy chapter 19. Moses is giving direction to the children of Israel, and he says, listen, you got to build three cities of refuge, three on the east side of the Jordan and three on the west side of the Jordan. And these cities of refuge, well, these cities of refuge are there for those who have made a mistake or they find themselves in a difficult situation. They're to run to the city of refuge, and the city of refuge is the place of protection and the place of safety. And what Moses does in Deuteronomy 19, and sorry, excuse the example, but remember it's Old Testament, okay? He goes, listen, if you and your friend go out into the woods and you're swinging your axe and your axe head comes off and hits the other guy in the forehead and he dies, well, gross, Old Testament, remember, run to the city of refuge. Don't wait for the brothers to come because they're going to kill you. Get to the city of refuge, Because when you get to the city of refuge, you're going to find safety and you're going to find security. Moses even tells them, listen, build roads. Deuteronomy 19.3, take a look. He says to them, you shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land. And what he says is, make a road to the city of refuge so that it's easy access and everyone knows how to get there so they can be safe and they can be protected. You see, this city of refuge, King David knew it well. He understands spiritually what it meant. And in Psalm chapter 46, verse 1, he says this. Psalm chapter 46, God is our refuge and strength. God is our city of refuge. A very present help in trouble. He'll keep us safe and secure when we're going through our difficult thing. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah, stop for a moment. Think about this. Run to God when you find your world falling apart. Let me tell you something. God has built the road for us to easily run to him. And you know what it's called? Prayer. Prayer. And if we choose 
you know what Charles Stanley says? Charles Stanley says that the quickest solution to any difficulty we face in our life is our distance of the, our knees to the floor. Run to God. Because he keeps us safe and he protects us if we run to him. Prayer is the road to refuge. Jesus, let me tell you something. He wants us to do pre-prayer. Pre-prayer. Because he knows difficulties are going to come in our life. Listen to what he taught us to pray. Remember? Our Father which art in heaven. Take a look. Matthew 6, 13. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus wants us to be in pre-prayer. You know why? He wants us to know where that road is to get us quickly to the city of refuge. And that road is prayer. So he wants us to go into practice before we face our difficulty so that when our difficulty comes, we know exactly the road that we need to travel in order to get to God. So he gives us a pre-prayer. Deliver us from the evil one. But there's also mid-prayer. This is when you call the church. This is when you say, I just got the phone call. It's horrible. Can I please talk to Pastor Chad? I need prayer. It's biblical. It's Psalm chapter 120. Would you take a look at verse 1? In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and listen to his word, and he heard me. He heard me. When we are faced with our difficulty The word of God is encouraging us, run to God. Get on the road that is prayer so that you can get to God. Let me tell you something. When the ax head hit the other guy and the guy died, the other guy that lived, he's not waiting around for the brothers to show up because he knows there's going to be a revenge killing. So you know what he does? As soon as that guy fell dead, where's the road? Six million dollar man, he was running as fast as he could because those guys are right behind him. He knew exactly what to do. When that guy went down and he was faced with his difficult situation, he found the road and he ran to the city of refuge. No guy would wait around. They immediately got on the road. Stop calling your friends before you call on God. In your distress, call out to God. But I got to let you know something. Do you think when the guy was running, so there's all the brothers are running behind him. They're coming to kill him, okay? There weren't rifles to shoot him like from 250, 400 yards, okay? So listen, they're coming at him with clubs and knives and they're going to kill him because his, their brother is dead. So when that guy is running into the city of refuge, do you think he was speaking King James English to get in? Hello, friends. Dear friends, I'm on my way to the city of refuge. Would you please just open the door for me as I'm running in to seek safety and security and counsel from you? I am so desperately in need. No. Let me tell you what the guy was doing. Help! Open the door! Ah! Do you know what the Bible tells us and encourages us? It's Psalm chapter 62. Take a look at the text. Trust him at all times. God says, you can trust me. Pour out your heart before him. I can handle it. God's a refuge for us. Do you know God's a big boy? So when your boyfriend dumps you 
And you go to God with your King James English. Dearest God, I don't know if you know this, but my heart is ripping out of my chest right now. Let me tell you what God understands. God, this hurts so bad. I can't believe he dumped me. I mean, give him leprosy or something. And why did you dump her in the first place? It was mean, okay? No, let me tell you something. God understands where you're at. And he says, trust me with your real self and pour out your heart to me. You don't got to come to me in King James English. You can just pour out your heart. He's a father. He can sympathize with our weakness. He gets it. He understands difficult things. You know the greatest benefit of the guy that would run to the city of refuge? He survived. He survived. Do you realize your survival rate in L.A. increases 100% in your difficulties if you would just run to the city of refuge, if you would just run to God? Psalm chapter 46, look at the greatest benefit that you get. Psalm 46 God's our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He knows exactly how to help you, exactly the right time, and he knows exactly what to tell you to do. He can help you, but not only that. Look what he does for us. When we run to God, take a look at how Paul got his power perspective. Be anxious for nothing. In other words, there's going to be difficult things that happen in your life. Don't worry about them. They're coming. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request run to God, be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, with whatever is virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You ever read the Psalms and go, is David schizophrenic? Like the first verse is, dear God, I can't believe you left me here to die. And I just pray you go and get my enemies. And then by the end of the Psalm, you get, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. We bless your holy name. It's like, David, are you schizophrenic? No. He ran to God. And when he ran to God, he got God's perspective. He started thinking of whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is right. He ran to God, and God gave him a peace that passes understanding. And let me tell you the kind of peace that Jesus gives. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he says this, Peace I leave you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He goes, the kind of peace that I'm giving you is not like the world. Because the peace I'm giving you, you're going to have a peace inside of you despite the chaos of the world around you. That's a peace that passes understanding. And all you have to do is run to God. Run to him. Number two, maybe you write it down. Trust God. Trust God. So Joshua begins his journal. That's what it is. It's a journal. 
And in Joshua chapter 1, he begins his journal with this. Moses is dead. Moses is dead. Now, death is a difficult thing to deal with. But especially for Joshua. Because Moses dying meant that millions of people, millions of Jews in the desert are now looking to Joshua to tell him what to do. So he's mourning. He's grieving the loss of his mentor. And the Jews are going, okay, Joshua, what do we do? Joshua's struggling. Moses is dead. But he runs to God. And God shows up like he always does. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, God says something powerful to Joshua. Listen carefully. Have I not commanded you? Haven't I told you what to do? Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I know Moses is gone. But someone greater than Moses is with you. I'm with you. I know Moses is gone. You see, God shows up and says, would you just do what I'm telling you to do? I'm with you. And this was all Joshua needed. For God to speak to him at his word. Because can I tell you, words are powerful. Do you remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me? Lie from the pit of hell. (laughs) Negative words can affect you the rest of your life. It's in elementary school when some bully walks up to you and says, you're a loser, and you believe you're a loser for the rest of your life. Negative words have power. But positive words, positive words have just as much comforting and encouraging and uplifting and edifying power. There's nothing like a friend coming into the dark moment of your life and pulling you out of that darkness and bringing you into light with an encouraging word. Listen. Pastor Zach Patterson, one of my dearest friends, he has walked into my dark moments at times in my life and he's spoken an encouraging word and lifted me out of that dark and brought me to light. Listen, the power of words. Now just imagine if the best friend of yours, Jesus Christ, shows up into your life and gives you his word. God's word is power. It's power. And when he says something to you, We need to trust him that it's true. We got to trust him. It's true. You know what Isaiah tells us? Nothing in his word will return void. He says what he means and he means what he says. You know what the problem is? The problem is the way we feel when we're dealing with something difficult. That's the problem. We feel abandoned. God, where are you? Do you remember what the disciples in the storm said to Jesus? Do you not care that we're going to die? Have you ever said that to God? Don't you care about me? Do you know what I'm going through? I feel so abandoned. But listen, Christian, this is God's word to you. Can you trust it? Isaiah 41.10. Listen carefully. Fear not, for I am with you. You're not abandoned. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Christian, that's a word for you. You're not abandoned. God is with you. He's with you. You may not feel it. Believe it. We feel that God is taking too long. 
God, I've been praying this for five years, 10 years, 20 years. I mean, God, when are you going to show up? You're taking too long. This is what God says to you. Look carefully. 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Uh, excuse me, slowness. You know what the Bible is telling us? God shows up not early and not late, right when he means to. He doesn't show up early, and he don't show up late. The problem is it's usually not on our timing, and he asks us to wait. Who likes to wait? It's like a Christian curse word. (laughs) Nobody likes to wait. No one likes to wait in line. I went to Kaiser the other day to get some medication. The line was out the door for the pharmacy. I automatically got a twitch. Nobody likes to wait. And the danger is, is that we do something dumb because we don't want to wait. How many of you have ever made an emotional decision in a difficult situation? I want to see your hands. Okay, for all the honest people, God bless you. How many of you, in the midst of a marital strong fellowship, you've said something you wish you wouldn't have said? Or, listen to this. How many of you said, I'll never be like my parents, and you were? Difficult situations, they bring the best out of us, huh? And we feel that God is taking too long, but God says this. Look at Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. This is a promise to you. This is a promise. Don't react with an emotional decision. Wait on the Lord. You're going to mount up with a wing like an eagle. You're going to run and not be weary, and you're going to walk and not faint. I know you don't like wait, but wait. Wait on the Lord. Don't act because his timing is perfect. Can you trust what he said? Some of us in the midst of our difficult situation, we feel, what's the point? I don't get this. Why am I going through this? He says, difficult things have a purpose. It's 1 Peter chapter 5. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, after you've gone through your difficult things, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You don't know the point, and you're screaming out to God, what is the point? Can you trust him in his word that difficult things have a purpose? You see, the problem is, When we don't know what he's doing, we begin to doubt. When we don't know why he's doing it. And the worst part, when we're crying out, we feel he's silent. Jesus gets it. Because here he is on the cross. He's pinned one hand here. He's pinned another hand here. His legs are crossed over and he's pinned between. And there in his anguish, he prayed that this moment, he said, Lord, let this cup pass. But the moment came when God the Father turned his back because he took the sin of the world upon him. And in that moment, Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And heaven was silent. Not a thunder, not a lightning, not even an earthquake. 
Jesus understands when you feel like heaven is silent. Job gets it. I mean, who didn't go through more of a difficult thing than Job? And for 20 chapters, Job and God are going at it. And Job is asking God a bunch of questions. Why? Why did you leave me? What's going on? He's venting. He's pouring out his heart. He's not in sin. He's just pouring out his heart to God. And you know how God responds to him? He says this to Job. Hey, Job, where were you when I created the ostrich? That's what he said. That's how he responds. He says, I made a bird that can run faster than a horse but can't fly. Where were you when I thought of that? He never answered Job's question of why. He just said, I'm God. I'm God. And some of us struggle with that mystery. We want to know why. We want to know what you're doing. And we begin to struggle with what's the point. But Job trusted that when God's answer, when he just said that I'm God. And he said this in Job 23.10. He responds to God, but he knows the way that I take. And when he's tested me, no matter what difficult thing I go through, I shall come forth as gold. I don't know what, why I'm going through what I'm going through, but I know that God has a purpose. Can you trust him, Christian, at his word? Can you trust him? In your difficult time when it feels like chaos. And he says, would you just fix your eyes on me? It's Isaiah chapter 26. The Bible says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Christian, can you trust him? Can you trust him at his word? Finally, number three. Glorify God. Run to God. Trust God. Glorify God. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. While you're turning there, let me fill you in. David is in the middle of a spiritual uh, temper tantrum. Saul wants to kill him. Some of the Jews, the Israelites that he has protected, are turning him in. Because they don't, they're afraid of Saul... So they're, gonna, they're trying to kill David as well. So David, he joins the enemy's camp. And the enemy is going to go fight the Jews. So David joins with the enemy and says, I'm going to kill the Jews before they kill me. David's not having a great day. Okay, this is not, these chapters are not the shining moment of David's life. When he gets to the Philistine camps, the enemy camp, one of the Philistine lord goes, David can't go with us. He's a Jew. I mean, when we go and attack the Jews in Jezreel, who knows David will turn on us and he'll defeat us. This is, a, this is a plan of the enemy. We can't let this Jew go with us to go fight Jews. So they send David back and all of his mighty men. David go walking back. Oh, I wanted to kill those Jews. He's upset about it. He's not having a great day. Take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. It's where we pick up our story. Verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag, that's their home, on the third day, so it took them three days to get there, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire. That means that David and his men's homes were completely burned and their farms. 
And he'd taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They didn't kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Everyone's gone. Then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. That's a lot of crying. David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his son and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Okay, I think we'd all agree David is dealing with something difficult. The guys want to stone him. They know that he's having a spiritual temper tantrum and he wants to go kill the Jews. They've left their families and now their families are gone and the guys want him dead. But the Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. That means he had a personal relationship with God. And though David was distressed because of his personal relationship, he knew how to get back on track. Take a look, if you would, verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, God did, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Remember, David had a personal relationship with God. This was not his first go-around. And when he found himself in his difficult situation, he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And look what he does. He runs to God. He gets to God in prayer, and he inquires of the Lord. And then the Lord speaks to him and says, go get him. Now, David's got a choice. And look at verse 9. So David went. He trusted God's word. Now, you got to know this is a big deal. You want me to go into battle with the very guys that want to kill me. I'm going to die by friendly fire. One of these guys is going to stone me while we're out in the battle, and they're going to take my position. Think of what God is asking David to do. He's asking David to trust him at his word despite the way that he feels. He ran to God, and now he's gone and done what God has said to him. David had a personal relationship with God. He knew what to do when he was distressed. Run to God, trust God. And in this moment, he writes Psalm 50, verse 15. Take a look. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. I'll tell you what to do. And you shall glorify me. He says, run to me, trust me, and glorify me. It's number three. Would you write it down? Glorify me. You see, we glorify God when we purpose to do what he asks us to do no matter what we're going through. Can you trust him to do what he's asked you to do? Can you forgive Aunt Sally even though you don't feel like it? Can you choose to go the extra mile at work even though your boss is miserable? Can you do what God is asking you to do in the midst of your difficult circumstance? If you do, you're glorifying him. And Peter would write an encouragement to the church, the suffering church. 
the church that is undergoing persecution, he would write that church and he said, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, hello, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. You've got to make it a point to glorify God. You've got a purpose in your heart to glorify God because it's going to go against your feelings. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those things who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? In other words, life is rough for the Christian and the non-Christian. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, going through a difficult time is the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. God knows what he's doing. Can you trust him? And here's what he's saying you're going to have to do. You're going to have to commit your soul to glorify him. Because sometimes our biggest enemy is the way that we feel about our difficult circumstance. And in that moment, we're going to have to commit our souls to do good. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward because we're about to remember the difficult moment of the Lord. And as they're passing out the elements, would you just give me your attention for just a minute? Because here's what I just did. I just gave you the stop, drop, and roll of dealing with difficult things. Do you remember elementary school? You get caught on fire, what do you do? Stop, drop, and Learned in elementary school. Stop, drop, and roll. And what I just did was I gave you the stop, drop, and roll of Christianity when you're dealing with a difficult thing. God bless you. The stop, drop, and roll when you are facing a fiery trial is to run, trust, and glorify God. That's our new stop, drop, and roll. You see, if you choose to run, trust, and glorify God, He's going to help you get through that difficult season. Now, my prayer is that we will all be able to say like the Apostle Paul. It's Philippians chapter 4. Look what he says. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. Listen carefully. He goes, I know difficult situations. Everywhere and in all things. In other words, everywhere in life. I've learned I've learned, so this was a process for him, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through who strengthens me. Church, if anyone knows difficult, it's Jesus. Because he went to a cross And on that cross, he said, my body is going to be broken. That's pretty difficult. He knows difficult things. He goes, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that because when you are in your moment of anguish, pour out your heart to me. I did to God my Father. I get it. I understand. Pour out your heart. My body was broken. And then he took a cup and he said, listen, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood. He bled on the cross 
to death. He knows difficult. And he says, would you remember me? When you're walking through your difficult season, would you just stop, drop, and roll? Would you run, trust, and glorify? When you are on fire and you're facing your fiery trial, run, get to the city of refuge, pour out your heart, trust me, I'm going to tell you what to do, I'm going to deliver you, and then glorify me. Do what I'm telling you to do, no matter how you feel about it. Run, trust, and glorify. Some of you got a difficult person you're dealing with, you need to give it to Jesus today. He gets difficult people, he had the Pharisees. Some of you are in a difficult place in your life. He gets it. He gets difficult places. He had the disciples on a storm, remember? He had the demoniac come and attack him. He understands difficult places we find ourselves. Some of us find ourselves in a difficult thing. He gets difficult things. He died on a cross. So what I want you to do is take a moment. Would you give Jesus, would you remember him? And would you just give him your difficult person? Would you give him your difficult place? Would you give him that difficult thing that you're walking through? And then I'm going to bring us back around and we'll take communion together. Would you just remember the Lord right now? Remember him. He wants to help you. He's with you. You go to the Lord. I'll gather us back in just a minute. Thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken because I really believe you get my difficult place. You can sympathize with my weakness. I even see in your humanity how you cried out on the cross. I remember you. Because I need you. So, Lord, we remember your broken body. Church, would you take and eat and remember the broken body of the Lord? Lord, we remember that your blood was shed. What a difficult thing. You bled to death. And we remember because the chaos of the cross brought the power of the resurrection. And though I don't understand what's going on, I trust you. And I'm going to remember today to trust you. Because you trusted your Father, and on the third day you rose from the grave. So, Lord, I remember you. Church, would you take and drink and remember the Lord Jesus? To God be the glory. We give you the glory, Lord. Some of us, we didn't feel like coming to church, but we're here. We want to glorify you, not our feelings. Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Here at Calvary Chapel, South Bay, we memorize scripture. Not surprisingly, our scripture today, Philippians 4.13, would you say it with me? I can do even difficult things. Run, trust, glorify. Stop, drop, and roll. Run, trust, glorify. Challenge to change. 
Run, trust, and glorify God in the midst of your difficult thing. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.